Bible with you to the book of Acts chapter number 8. And again, I will just add my voice to what has already been stated and thank our guests for being here. If this is your first time to worship with us, we're very honored that you've come. If you're a return guest, thank you for coming back and being with us. And uh, I know that many of you have already received uh, an invitation to this if you're new to our church. But we have a, a, a free luncheon today after the service. It's called Pastor's Chat. It's right across the alleyway in our chapel, right across under the portico and into the adjacent building. And we would love to share a meal with you. Take just a few minutes. It won't take much of your afternoon but just introduce ourselves to you and tell you a little bit about new life. And so if you received an invitation, please join us. If you did not, but you're new, maybe brand new, you're welcome to join us today over in the chapel. And uh, if you brought someone with you that's new, you can bring them along with, and we'll have a great time uh, together. That'll be right after our service. And we do have a baptism at the close of today's service. I'm very excited about that. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter number 8, and we'll begin at verse number 1. Let me give just a touch of context here. Uh, Stephen, the follower of Jesus, uh, has been stoned to death in the closing verses of Acts chapter 7. And Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 tells, shifts the story a little bit, but tells us that Saul was consenting to his death. He was consenting or approving of Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they, everybody say the church, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, from that eighth chapter, uh, if you skip down in that chapter to the 12th verse, uh, the key figure changes to a man by the name of Philip. And it is Philip in this context that is preaching. And the scripture says, but when they believed Philip as he preached concerning the things, preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. It's from the first part of that 12th verse that I want to lift my title for this sermon and simply preach, They Believed Philip. Would you say, They Believed Philip? Amen. Thank you for praying for the message. You may be seated. Appreciate you much. Thank you to our praise team, Brother Gates, and the praise team for leading us in worship today. This new church, this early church, this book of Acts church, had quite... A beginning. Uh, it was supernatural. Uh, Acts chapter 2 tells us that when they were all together in one place, that the Holy Ghost came like the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. It had to be a glorious occasion. 
120 people gathered in a, a large upper room. And uh, as the Holy Ghost was poured out, the Bible says they were all filled and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. A few years ago, before the pandemic, Stacy and I had the privilege to travel uh, to Israel with Brother and Sister Odal. And when we went into what is, is believed to be the upper room, uh, we had the most remarkable thing happen, and we actually have it on video. Uh, when we walked in there, and, and you would have to understand the scope of the room, and it's a very large room, uh, but there are many different groups, tour groups, that are in the upper room at the same time. It's not like our group was the only group in the upper room. And so you have a group over here and a German group over here and an English group over here. And then you have us from the United States over here. And Brother Odell and our tour guide were giving us insight and, and, and things to, to think about with regards to being in the upper room. And, and then Brother Odell said to us, now we're going to pray here in the upper room. And as a spirit-filled believer actually standing in the upper room, it doesn't take long to tap into heaven. Because you're in what perhaps was the upper room where it was first poured out. And we began to pray. And a couple of people turned their cameras on and, and got the video footage. And, and now I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not embellishing this at all. Uh, as is the, the, the architecture of some of the buildings there in Israel, there's some open windows and openness to the, to the structure. And when we began to pray... I watched it. A dove flew through the window across the open room there and, and flew in and, and sat right on top of the ledge beneath where, or above where we were praying. We're praying. We're calling out to the Lord. We're speaking with tongues in prayer. We're having a wonderful season of prayer. And the dove, which is symbolic in Scripture of the Holy Spirit, is sitting up on this ledge. And uh, even the most carnal among us at that moment got real spiritual. <laughs> and then almost on cue, when we were done praying, the dove exited stage left and flew right back out of the window. And I looked at some people that were with me. I said, did you see that right there? And they said, yeah, that's awesome. That's going to be a memory we keep with us for the rest of our lives. But it was just this remembrance of the glorious outpouring of the Holy Spirit where 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 2. And then, then we go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 and we find that 3,000 are then added to the church. So we go quickly from 120 in an upper room to 3,000 added. In Acts chapter 3, as we begin to walk through the scripture, the lame man is healed as Peter and John are walking into the temple. And they say, we don't have silver and gold to give you in your alms cup, but we do have power in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand and pulled him up, and the lame man was healed. And it just continues in Acts chapter 4, where 5,000 men are added to the church. Now we have this burgeoning, growing body of people. In that same chapter, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says that many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And so it's not just a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit causing people to speak with tongues, but now the work of the Spirit is producing signs and wonders and miracles. 
in that same chapter, chapter 5 is a powerful chapter, prison doors swing open as the angel of the Lord release the followers of Jesus from their bondage of prison. We walk into Acts chapter 6, and in that wonderful chapter 7 are chosen as deacons, including Philip, which we'll look at here soon in Scripture. The Bible says that when they were chosen and when the structure got right in the early church, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly and priests became obedient to the faith. And then in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the deacons that was chosen in Acts 6, rises up and the scripture says he was full of faith and full of power. So much so that Acts 7 and 10 tells us that those who opposed him were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So it wasn't just that he kind of rose up and shared a testimony, but there was something about the way he spoke and something about the authority with which he spoke that they couldn't fight against it. They weren't able to resist the wisdom embedded in it and the spirit by which he spoke. You talk about some great start to this early church. Holy Ghost outpouring and signs and wonders and miracles and preaching and declaration of God's word and the lame jumping up and structure getting in place. And boy, the first six chapters of Acts are just awesome. And then the biography of the church takes a turn. In Acts chapter 8... And verse 1, and I will read it again. We read it just a few moments ago. Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. What was Stephen, how was he rewarded for being a man full of faith and power and preaching boldly the word of the Lord? How was he rewarded for that? He was rewarded by being stoned to death. And Saul, this perpetrator against the church, was consenting to that. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Everybody say scattered. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Think about this with me. They are mourning the loss of one of their leaders, and they can't even do it together. They're mourning the barbaric murder of one of their leaders, and they can't even come together to find strength with one another. Why? Because the persecution has become so hot and so heavy that what once was a a corporate gathering is now a scattered group. And what was a a tight-knit group of miracles and preaching and faith and fellowship has now through persecution been scattered. Then the scripture says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. If there is an antonym to the word church, it is the word havoc. 
You will notice we never put in our bulletin or on our website, come and join us for church havoc. We're going to have a great time of havoc this coming Saturday. In fact, that's everything we don't want in the church. We want unity. We want camaraderie. We want fellowship. And yet in this great time of expansive growth of the church, Saul shows up. People bent against the way that they called them the way back in that day. Show up and they, they, they start just wrecking the plans of the church and scattering people left and right and persecuting the people of God and making havoc of the church and dragging them out of their houses. By the way, that's not figurative. They literally were dragging them out of their houses and throwing them in prison. Now, stay with me this morning. On the surface, it seems to me that Saul is messing up a good thing. Saul is really being used as a tool, at least in my thinking for years, as a tool of the enemy to mess up a good thing. We love having church on Sunday morning. We love coming together at midweek and praying together and hearing the taught word of God. And now this one leader is coming in all pompous and arrogant and dragging us into prison and scattering us apart where we used to be so united. He is messing things up. But I want to tell you something. A few years ago, I was praying and the Lord gave me what I really believe is a revelation. And I, I say that humbly today because I haven't come to just take advantage of a pulpit and try to be bravado and, and verbose and try to com, you know, convince you that I got some revelation that nobody else gets. Maybe it just takes me a while. Maybe I'm just catching up with people in this church. But several years ago, I was praying, and, and the Lord really just, I believe, gave me. And if it's not a revelation to you, it was a personal revelation to me. And it's this, God always works with redemption in mind. Now, I need to say that again because I need to hear that today. God always works with redemption in mind. What God does, he has redemption in mind. What God allows has redemption in mind. What God calls me toward and calls you toward has redemption in mind. It was to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 that Jesus spoke these words. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That tells me that when Jesus was walking down that path by that sycamore tree, it was more than just to have a new way to go to a house. He had redemption in mind. He had a plan in mind. Hey, I've come to tell somebody Jesus is not out of control. He hasn't lost good ideas. He's not nervous today. He's not anxious today. Everything he does has redemption in mind. Everything he allows has redemption in mind. Amen. And so I can read Acts chapter number 8 and think, my goodness, how awful of a footnote in the start of this early church that Saul's messing everything up. But yet I want to take you somewhere in the scripture and show you something that was an aha moment for me. Acts chapter number 1. 
So go from Acts 8 and skip back to Acts chapter 1, would you please? His disciples are gathered with Jesus, and Jesus is just a few moments away from ascending into heaven after the resurrection. And Acts 1 and 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are we going to have this glorious restoration of the kingdom in, in whole now? Is that what you're kind of working on here? In verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Here we go. Ready? But you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now many times I have read that verse and preached from that verse and stopped right there. But that's not what that verse finishes with. You shall receive the Holy Ghost, uh, the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. And in all Judea. Everyone say Judea. And in Samaria, everybody say Samaria. And to the end of the earth. In other words, this Holy Spirit revival is going to touch Jerusalem, but it's not going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to affect outside of Jerusalem, in the region of Judea. It's going to go beyond just the region of Judea to the people in Samaria. And it's not going to stop in Samaria. It's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I can imagine in that moment, if you'll allow me to use my imagination right now, with them standing on the mountain, Jesus is speaking to them and promising this wonderful outpouring of the Spirit and this ingathering of souls from all over the known world, it had to be a heady thing for the followers of Jesus. We're going to be a part of something so glorious and so magnificent that it's going to affect far beyond where we are right now. There's not a person in this room right now that if the Lord showed up to you this afternoon and said, I'm going to do something through your family that's going to affect Cabot, but it's not going to stop in Cabot. It's going to affect Arkansas. It's going to affect the United States. It's going to affect North America. And it's going to affect the globe. And so we would be excited about that. And I can imagine coming down off the mountain, they were excited. Woo! This thing's going to get big. And then Saul shows up and starts persecuting the church. This centralized Jerusalem church. This church that has had this wonderful outpouring and seismic growth in Jerusalem is now being persecuted. What's going on? God, are you anywhere around here? Are you 100 miles away? Are you deaf right now? Is your arm short that you can't hear our prayer? What's going on? We're scattered. We used to be together, and now we're scattered. What's going on? And yet the Bible says... 
that when they were scattered in Acts chapter 8, they went everywhere in Judea and Samaria. And they preached the word of God. Now I'm going to let that settle just for a second. I'm going to let some people in this room, including the guy with the microphone right now, catch up with what God is saying. Sometimes he uses the most unusual circumstances to produce his purpose and produce in us what he wants to bring about. I don't think I would have signed up for it if the Lord had said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in the upper room, but I'm going to make sure you really are witnesses when you go through persecution. I'm going to make sure you really let your light shine when you got a heavy hand of Saul on you. But God always works with redemption in mind. He always works with redemption in mind. I may go through something, but it's a kingdom principle that God will work in spite of my situation, in spite of my difficulty. Everybody say scattered. Come on, shout it out. Say scattered. There are some lessons that we can glean from this man named Philip when we're scattered. When life doesn't work out like we thought it would, or at least we thought it should. There's two Philips in Scripture, at least two. One is Philip the Apostle. He's mentioned in John in the list of apostles. He's not the one I'm preaching about today. I'm preaching about the one that the Bible speaks of as Philip the Evangelist. And in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 5, The Bible says that after the disciples were scattered, that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And so I want to preach this. I want to just get across to you what the Lord has laid on my heart. When we are scattered, we must not lose our message. You know what Philip preached when he was scattered? Jesus Christ. You know what Philip focused on when life took a detour? Jesus Christ. You know what Philip said to the Samaritans that when we occasioned upon them, probably not realizing he was going to be a preacher to those people? You know what happened when he went to the Samaritans? He said, I didn't come to you to preach Philip. I didn't come to you to preach a denomination. I didn't come to you to preach a church name. I've come to preach to you Jesus Christ. We must never lose our message Even when we're scattered, even when life happens and it throws us off course. I'm looking at some people in this room. There's some stuff happening in our lives. There's some things, if we took just an inventory of our life and all the stuff that's gone on, there's some stuff we wouldn't have signed up for. I believe I've got a word from the Lord for somebody. We can't lose our message when we're scattered, folks. We cannot lose our focus when we are scattered. We must declare and trust in Jesus Christ. There's another lesson I can learn from Philip the Evangelist. It's in verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord hated the things spoken by Philip. Everybody say they believe Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
Verse 13, then Simon himself also believed. Everybody say, he believed Philip. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Sometimes the easiest thing for us to do when we don't get our miracle is to stop believing for miracles. If he's not going to bring me back home, then I have a hard time believing he's going to bring anybody back home. If he's not going to heal my body, I have a hard time believing he's going to heal anybody's body. But Philip said, I might be scattered right now. And I might not be in a place of comfort right now. And I might be separated from what I thought would happen in my life right now. But I'm going to keep my focus on Jesus. And I'm going to keep stepping out and operating in the supernatural. And believing that God will show up. And he will perform miracles. And he will touch bodies. Oh, I want to just plow through it right now. Come on, folks. We cannot let the enemy come and capsize our faith by our scattered nature right now. When we're scattered, hang on. Keep preaching Jesus. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep believing in the miraculous. Praise God. Philip believed in the miraculous power of God. Because there's something that God has in mind in the scattering that is so far beyond what I could ever imagine. Mm. Can you put that map on the screen, Lane? I'm going old school today. Everybody see the little dot up on the screen? When's the last time you were in a church and a preacher used a pointer? Woo! It's an anointed pointer, too. Oh, and it's a broken pointer, too. There it is. Okay, you see it over on the right-hand side, the little green dot right there? Okay, follow it. Follow the, follow the dot. Oh, my. Okay, right over there is a box that says Jerusalem. I'm going to help you with something. Anytime you see Jerusalem in Scripture. Oh. Man. I am unworthy to be in the same room as you, Lane. The anointing's flowing back there right now. Anytime you see Jerusalem in Scripture, we have to understand this. Everywhere from Jerusalem, as far as geography, is down. Because when you, if you're in a bus and you drive up to the city of Jerusalem, you're going to be looking up. So when the Bible says that he went down from Jerusalem, that, that's not a cliche. That's not a, a, a wordplay. It literally means he went down. So when Philip went down from Jerusalem, now, this is going to be awesome. Just kind of circle Samaria, Brother Lane, right up there. Right there. He is. It looks like he goes up, but he actually goes down. Are you with me right now? Th think in terms of right here, not this. 
he went down to Samaria. And when he went down to Samaria, the Lord had people waiting on him. People that were hungry were waiting on him. People that were open were waiting on him. People that were ready were waiting on him. Oh, I feel like preaching it today. When God scatters sometimes, he has something in mind that is far beyond what you and I could ever imagine. And if we will submit to the scattering and understand he's God and everything he does is with redemption in mind, he's got somebody waiting on us. He's got somebody for us to talk to. He's got somebody for us to witness to. The Bible says Philip went down to Samaria and he occasioned upon a people that were ready to hear what he had to say. He also came upon a certain person named Simon, the sorcerer. And this was an influential man that the scripture says they all gave heed in Samaria to Simon because they said he was a man of great power of God. So now when, when Philip gets to Samaria, he's not just talking and preaching and declaring Jesus to just an open people. He's declaring Jesus to influential people. And the Bible says that the Samaritans received the word of the Lord. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Simon believed. The sorcerer believed. And great things began to happen in Samaria. It was in that moment when they were receiving the word of the Lord that, by the way, receiving the word of the Lord means acting on the word of God. The Bible says many received the word of the Lord and were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. To be a receiver of the word means I don't just get it here, but I act out. I let my faith be on display through my actions. They began to desire for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they sent for Peter and John in Jerusalem. And Peter and John come to Samaria and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 17 says they laid their hands upon them and they received the Holy Spirit. This all happened after the scattering. Because the Lord always works with redemption in mind. So let me just preach to somebody here who feels like you're scattered from your purpose. He has redemption in mind for you. He's got someone and some people and some situation that's waiting for you to respond to him and not get balled up in your feelings because things just aren't working. What am I doing with the Lord right now? What am I doing to, to be useful in the kingdom right now? Preaching Jesus, declaring Jesus, trusting in Jesus and watching his supernatural power be on display. So what does God do in the midst of an outstanding revival? People are being baptized. People are being filled with the Spirit. Woo! Let's go on another week of revival. Let's just kind of settle in here. We've been scattered. Now the Lord's producing this redemptive result. Come on, Philip. At least get a, an Airbnb for a while. Hang out for a while. Peter, John, camp out here. We're having a move of God. And in the midst of that, he sends Philip. I'm going to tell you something. I cannot figure this, this Jesus out sometimes. Do I have any witnesses in the house? Will you help a brother out? You ever have Jesus do something and you go, now if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have done it like that. 
Turn to someone and say, I'm so glad you're not Jesus. <laughs> Ready? Here we go. Acts 8 and 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Here's what's not written. In the midst of this great outpouring in Samaria, when people are getting baptized and receiving the Holy Ghost, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Can we go back to the map? He's up in Samaria. Right there. And while he's having this awesome move of God, the angel shows up and says, go south. Now, I, I know what that's like. That happened to me a long time ago. The Lord showed up in the midst of my life and said, go south. And I'm so glad he did. <laughs> go south and go along the road that leads from Jerusalem To Gaza, bottom left. Now I want you to notice something. I want Brother Lane to go up to Samaria and then just slowly move the cursor down from Samaria all the way down to Gaza. That is not a heavily trafficked route. So do you get this in, in real time? Hey, I want you to leave a red-hot revival. And go out in, in the desert. He in fact, he tells them, this is desert. <laughs> Just so you know, this is desert where you're going. I know you're in revival. I know things are busting. I know people are responding. But I need you to go south. And I need you to go to the road. He pinpoints the road. He puts GPS on it. He says, I want you to go to the road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And by the way, it's real dry there. It's desert, so pack some water. So somewhere on this path from Samaria to Gaza, Philip occasions on the road, and he comes upon a chariot. And in that chariot is a man of Ethiopia. He has great authority. He happens to be reading from the prophet Isaiah. Watch verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now we have to read this. Please listen, everybody. Just look, look right here. We have to read this through the right set of eyes and the right lens. We can read that and we can think overtake like he just kind of gets up all up in her business and kind of manhandles them. And, no, that's not what that means. If you look at various versions of the Bible, it means... Go near that chariot and stay close to it. In other words, get close enough that you're right near it. Now to prove this, we go on and read the next verse, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. 
So in order to hear him reading the prophet Isaiah, you got to be close enough to hear him read. We're not talking about a guy five miles away or 100 yards away. We're talking about parking himself right next to. I don't know. And in my mind, I kind of imagine this, you know, was that awkward? You know, was Philip kind of hanging out by a palm tree and the chariot's right there, just kind of acting like he's getting a drink, but he's really listening? All he knew is the Spirit said, go, 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 get close to him. Go get close to him. The Bible says that the, the, the Ethiopian is reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, now, here's the thing. Everybody, look right here. Well, I want, I want to get this. I feel like I could preach for two hours. I'm not going to, but I feel like I could preach for two hours. And here's what the Bible says. Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The Bible does not say that the Spirit said, go ask him if he understands what he reads. The last thing Philip heard was the Spirit say, go get near to him. And when he got near to him, then it kind of kicked in. He's reading. He's reading from Isaiah. I'm just going to kind of interject myself. Hey, have any idea what you're reading there? To which the Ethiopian leader said, how can I? Unless someone guides me. Now, now I can see Philip looking in his mind at like an open door. Now, 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 this is an open door. I'm here on this desert road. I've been sent from this red-hot revival because sometimes we're not scattered. Sometimes we are sent, folks. Sometimes God has a kingdom assignment for us that we've got to be listening for God's voice because he's got someone in the desert somewhere. He's got somebody that is reading to the best of their knowledge and the best of their understanding. And they're, they're, they're not really sure exactly. Can, can you get this picture? Just what seems to be this coincidence. The, the, the evangelist shows up and the guy's reading from Isaiah. And do you think it took a while for Philip to go, this may be a God moment right here? No, he realized, hey, God has sent me to this man. Can I just preach to somebody here right now? God has got people that he's going to send you to. It might not be something you understand right away, and it might not be in a place you understand right away, but God has an assignment for somebody. God's got a sending for somebody. God loves an Ethiopian leader enough to get a leader out of a revival and send him to a desert. He can do that. I don't understand. I don't have anybody to teach me. And the Bible says that Philip came up and sat with him. And he happened to be reading from where we read in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. He opened not his mouth. The leader from Ethiopia looked at Philip and said, I have a question for you. Who does the prophet say this of, himself or some other man? And Philip, verse 35, watch this here. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Philip met him where he was. Philip started with his understanding and began to guide him through the scriptures. Now, obviously, 
and from the scripture I say, obviously, they went together from that point. Because it wasn't too awful long later on a journey as the chariot is rolling that the Ethiopian leader sees a body of water and says, here's water. Is anything hindering me from being baptized? I'm going to tell you something. It, it just, it marvels me that God thinks enough of salvation in people to let them experience the same thing in a desert that scores of Samaritans were experiencing all those miles away. You don't think God loves us? I, I felt the nudge of the Spirit as I was praying this morning for this service. And it was simply this. Somebody, perhaps in this room, on this Sunday morning, is on your journey. You're a worshiper. You're in your chariot. And God's got more for you. And he loves you so much that he'll send someone to your desert and to your place of isolation to get a word to you. Aren't you glad for that today? Can we thank the Lord for that wonderful compassion he has for souls right now? <laughs> Hallelujah. They believe Philip in Samaria, and they believe Philip in the desert. Now, if we were to, and I'm just about done, or Brother Dennis can come back and our, our singers can come back. We'll, we'll be done in just a minute. But if we were to gauge the importance of people by how many times they are mentioned in the Bible, we would have to assume that Philip the evangelist is not the most important man in Scripture. Because when we finally depart, Acts chapter number 8, there's only one other reference to Philip the evangelist in the Bible. I want you to see verse 38 of Acts 8. Would you look at this? I'm going to show you where he's mentioned elsewhere. He commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch, the leader, saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, one more time, the map on the screen. So he's down here in Gaza, ministering to one man in a chariot. And that man responds. He says, here's water. What would hinder me from being baptized? Nothing. And they both went down in the water, and they baptized him, and they both came up out of the water. And when they came up out of the water, the Bible says that God took Philip and deposited him in Azotus, right there. By the way, that's about 20 miles 
from Gaza. Now, when I was reading this, I thought to myself, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, okay, I'm in Samaria, and things really get hopping. You take me out of Samaria. And then I get down, I'm obedient to you, and I get down to Gaza, and I teach the man in the chariot, and he responds. We baptize him. And when we come up out of the water, it's like it's, a track, uh, it's, like it's happening here over and over again. And the Bible doesn't say anything other than he was found at Azotus. Now, let me, listen, listen. We can read this and we can miss this. But this is the way the Tim Gaddy brain thinks. All I know to go on is according to the Bible, he is in a pond in Gaza one second. Boom! He looks around. He's in Azotus. That had to be the most bizarre thing to ever happen to a person. Now, I have to tell you, there's been times when I was taking tests in school and stuff. I was praying for something like that to happen. <laughs> now, it would be a great time for rapture, God. Just translate me out of here. I don't want to drive home tonight. Just translate me there. It happened for Philip. He is found in Azotus. And the Bible says that he decided he's going to go from Azotus. You got it, Brother Lane? And he's going to make his way all the way up to Caesarea. And he's going to be preaching all the way to Caesarea. Every city he comes to, he's preaching Jesus. Every town he walks into, he's preaching Jesus. Every person he comes across, he's talking to them about Jesus. He is a steadfast follower of Jesus Christ. So whether he's having a great revival in Samaria or a one-on-one -on -one Bible study in Gaza or he's an evangelist going up the great sea's shore, He's preaching Jesus Christ. And we get to the one other reference in the Bible that Philip has mentioned. It's in Acts chapter 21, and it's where I will conclude this sermon today. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, it's years later that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, says it like this. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And then just as a footnote, it says, now this man had four virgin daughters, just speaking of unmarried daughters, who prophesied. So if you'll forgive the obvious alliteration here today, and I did this on purpose because I want you to remember this. First, he was scattered. Second, he was sent. But in all of his life, he remained steadfast. Because he gets to Caesarea, and years later, get this, I want you to get this. He welcomes into his home the man that caused him to be scattered. He said, you can come stay at my house. And he also, by inference, taught his family and his kids because the biography of his daughters as they were unmarried 
but they prophesied. So something had been transferred from a steadfast Philip to his family all along the way. I want you to stand if you would, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Samaritans, they believe Philip. Non Jews, Ethiopian leaders, they believe Philip. His daughters, his own family, they believe Philip. That's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of man I want to be. Why don't we do this? Why don't we come together and pray around the front of this sanctuary? Members, guests, everybody in the house. You don't have to be a member to respond right now. We'll pray together before we go home. Would you step out from where you are and just join us up here at the front? Praise God. As you come, why don't you just close your eyes when you get up here and just begin to seek after the Lord right now. There, is a, there really is a, an anointing in this house today. There's a, there's a good presence of God here. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe, you're, maybe you feel scattered today. Maybe you feel like life has knocked you off of your course. God's got redemption in mind. God's got redemption in mind. Maybe you feel alone. You feel out kind of in that desert place trying to find our way, trying to find our understanding even of God's word. God's got his eye on you today. God's got his eye on you today. I wonder if there's some steadfast people that will rise up and say, I'm going to go back to Caesarea and I'm going to not get a bitter spirit. I'm, I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to trust God going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the process of the Lord. I'm going to trust the hand of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, every person around the front of this church, every person across this great worship center today, God, I pray that you will speak to us, Lord. Minister to us in a personal way right now, Lord. God, let there be an echo of your spirit in our hearts this week. I pray as we go forth from this house, Lord, that you will, in your sovereignty, direct us in redemptive ways, Lord. Oh, change my thinking, Lord. Help me not to think through a carnal mind, God, but let me trust you, Lord. Let me have the mind of Christ, Lord. Let me have a spiritual mind, oh God. Help me to see with your eyes, Lord. Help me to walk in the Spirit and be led by that Holy Spirit. I pray it in the name of the Lord. I pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lift up somebody that feels alone today, God. Lift up a young adult that feels by themselves today, Lord. Uh, uh, someone on the journey, someone in the chariot by themselves today, God. You've got somebody that's going to be sent to speak to them, Lord. In the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Keep us steadfast, Lord. Keep us steadfast in truth, Lord. 
Keep us steadfast in the way of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 